And we're going to have a continuation on our series on what a healthy church member is and what they look like. So this morning, uh, much of the material and the outlines are coming from two sources. The first is a book that we've made available to you is What is a Healthy Church Member? It's by a man, I cannot pronounce his name. Either can Ryan. And the second book by Gene Getz is Elders and Leaders. And this is a book that the elders have been going over for most of this year during some of our meetings, going over the principles in that. So this morning I want to start reading by reading a excerpt from John MacArthur's commentary on 1st and 2nd Thessalonians having to do with the church. The church is the most blessed institution on earth, the only one built by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the only institution he promised to eternally bless and the one about which he declared the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The Apostle Paul was so convinced of the overarching significance of the church that he described it to Timothy as the pillar and support of the truth. But these powerful descriptions do not mean the church is free from difficulties. Because redeemed sinners within the church are still battling fallen flesh, and some members of local churches are spiritually immature or even unregenerate. The church faces challenges and deals constantly with sin problems. Only as it recognizes and confronts the weaknesses, imperfections, and difficulties caused by sin does Christ's church begin and continue to grow spiritually. The true church also faces strong opposition from Satan, his demons, and his human agents. Nevertheless, it has supernatural resources because it is the body of Christ in the world. The Holy Spirit energizes its life. The Word of God instructs it. And its people possess divinely granted spiritual gifts to edify one another and reach the lost. True believers in the church love and obey the Lord and sincerely strive toward greater holiness. So the purpose, the main purpose of this morning's message is to teach us what a healthy church member is as far as their attitude and their actions should be towards their church leaders. And we're going to be looking at a general overview. Many of the passages we'll be reading and looking at can be a whole message just in themselves. So we want to get the big picture on this. So first, we're going to define who and what a church leader is. Second, I want to define a church leader's functions and responsibilities. And that would be the leader's responsibility to the congregation. Or another way to look at it is the shepherd's responsibility to the sheep. Third, we want to define what a humble follower, that is a healthy church member, uh, what they are like and what their attitudes and actions should be. So that would be the congregation's responsibility to the leaders or the sheep's responsibility to the shepherds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning to worship you. 
We thank you that this message continues our worship as we look into your word. I ask that you help us to understand the meaning of your word. Help us to understand how we can apply it in our lives. We pray that this church will continue to grow in its love for you, its knowledge of Christ, and its love and care for one another. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. So first of all, who are church leaders? We need to recognize that, of course, the head of the church is Jesus Christ himself, and the saints are his body. And that's a picture we have throughout the New Testament, that we are one body with Jesus Christ the head. In the first chapter, Colossians, verse 18, it says, Jesus is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Then Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has established leaders in the church to lead and equip the church. They're going to lead and equip the church for service, to build up the body to a mature man, and to grow and to function. Uh, Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11, tells us about some of the men that Jesus has placed in the church for this, starting with the apostles and prophets. And Jesus gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Jesus, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we see that, that Christ gives for the equipping, for the work of service, for the building up, for the unity of the faith, so that we cause growth and love as a body. In the early church, the church leaders comprise, are comprised of apostles and prophets. But as you read the book of Acts, we see a transition that the church leaders uh, are primarily the apostles and prophets, but there is a time when the Holy Spirit specifically chooses elders and other leaders of the church. But then as we look at Acts, it transitions to where the direct intervention of the Holy Spirit stops and that responsibility is given over to the church. For example, in Acts 13, verses 1 and 2, now there were in Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who's called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So there we see that direct intervention by the Holy Spirit choosing the church leaders. And yet in just the next chapter, after Paul and Barnabas 
go out to the churches in Lystra and Iconium and Derbe and Antioch. Then it comes up and it says, when they, Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. And there we see then uh, Paul and Barnabas appointing the elders. And also in the first chapter of Titus, when Paul is giving directions to Titus to uh, get the churches in order on the island of Crete, he says to him, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And then as you read the rest of the epistles, we see that additional details, first on the qualifications of church leaders, elders, deacons, deaconesses, is given and how we are to re, be responding to those church leaders. So it's through prayerful consideration and adhering to those qualifications that are in the third chapter of 1 Timothy and in the first chapter of Titus that we continue to choose our present-day leaders. And I believe we need to trust that God is leading us as we choose our leaders. And that the leaders in the church today are there because God, in fact, has chosen them through the church. For example, in Acts 20, 28, when Paul is talking to the elders of Ephesus, he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Notice it says the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. And yet, those elders in Ephesus were chosen by Paul and some of the other apostles. So it wasn't the, the direct intervention of the Holy Spirit, yet I believe it's the Holy Spirit making that choice. So who are the church leaders we're talking about now? First of all, we have the term elders, and in that term we will include pastors. And in the Greek, that means an old man. What's that bring out? The idea that the elders are mature and that the elders are wise. And the idea of being a pastor brings out the uh, concept of protection and feeding of the sheep. And this term elders was meaningful to the Jews because the Jews had about 2,000 years of living with elders and being under their rule and, and being in subjection to them. So they know what that term and what that function meant. Yet in the uh, New Testament, we have another word that is used, and that is translated as overseer or bishop. And that word means a superintendent, someone who looks after someone. And it brings out the idea of authority. So we have elders, including pastors, overseers and bishops and that term overseer and bishop will be meaningful to the Greeks and to the Romans because they have overseers in their government and in their society whereas that term elders is not very meaningful to the Greeks or to the Romans so these three terms elders well maybe four terms elders pastors overseer and bishop are really interchangeable. They're talking about the same people with the same function and duties. 
We have one other group of leaders in the church, and I'll call those elder assistants. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, after the qualifications of an elder are given, it goes into talk about qualifications for deacons and deaconesses. And starting with verse 8, it says, deacons likewise. And that likewise means that this is the next list. Qualification for elders. Likewise, now we have de uh, deacons. They must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, or addicted much wine or fond of sordid game, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. And then we get that one point here that these men, along with the elders, are to be tested. Then in verse 11, it says women must likewise. And so we have another list of people, elders, deacons, women, or deaconesses. They must be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. And then it goes on to some more qualifications. Now for this message, for this study... When we talk, and when I use the term church leaders, primarily then I'm talking about elders, pastors, and deacons, deaconesses. However, when you read the book of Hebrews, and there's a couple of verses, 13.7 and 13.17, that we will be looking at, and it talks about church leaders, but it doesn't use these terms, elders or overseer or deacons. It talks about just the term leaders. And that just means people who lead or can have regard for leading, those who are, you consider to be leaders, or the idea of rule. Brings out the, uh, the fact that these people will have spiritual discernment and guidance. So Hebrews seems to imply another group of leaders. And I think that they can be applied to people in Edgewood and other churches that have delegated authority from the elders and deacons to run a ministry or a program, such as Awana or VBS or preschool or the nursery, a missions program or any other special program. They are leaders with delegated authority. And because Ephesians 5.21 tells us that we are to be in subjection to one another, that means under certain times, church leaders, elders, and deacons, pastors, would be under these other leaders, such as we just had VBS a few weeks ago, and three ladies ran that program, and there were elders and deacons working under them, and the elders and deacons were in subjection to them and following their rule and weren't saying, well, you can't tell me what to do. So this idea of church leaders, I think it goes beyond um, just elders and deacons, but primarily now when I continue this talk, we're going to be talking about elders and deacons. So what functions, what responsibilities do church leaders have as laid out in the New Testament? And there are two primary ones. The first is managing, and the second is shepherding. And of course, I'm going over this so that when we get to the main thrust of this message, um, we, we should know why, as a church member, we should be in subjection to our leaders. So they have the primary duty of managing and shepherding. For example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. 
But we, re we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who le diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So there's that term that they, one, they diligently labor, and that means to grow weary. It means to toil. It's talking about hard work. And have charge over you. And that means to lead or to rule or to put before that they are uh, before the uh, church and thinking about them and realize that they have a responsibility towards the church. And again, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in the qualifications for an elder, it says he, the elder, must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So we have two terms there for manage. And that's this idea of superintending. Um, but then it says, how will he take care of the church of God? And that take care is a more intense word than managing his household. It's really talking about the idea that he's got to think about what he's going to do to lead the church. Idea of forethought. The idea also of provision, of doing what is necessary to meet the needs of the church. And when you hear, read the parable of the Good Samaritan, it says the Good Samaritan takes care of the injuries of that guy beat up on the road, and then he takes him to the inn and gives money for the provision of that man until he's healed up. And that's the same word, this take care of the church of God. So the Good Samaritan is really an example of how you take care of the church. Okay, the second uh, primary aspect for a, a, a leader is shepherding. In Acts 20, 28, again, it says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So there's the idea of to be on guard. The leaders need to be aware. They need to attend to the needs of the church. And it says the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. And that's that idea of a bishop or a superintendent. And then to shepherd the church. And that's the idea of care. That's the idea of tending. And it, it, it says to act as a shepherd. Now, as an elder, as a leader manages and shepherds the church, there are six aspects or functions that are a part of managing and shepherding. The first is teaching. In the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, Jesus says to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So there we see the making of disciples and the teaching, some of the primary functions here of a leader. And when the church is first formed in the book of Acts in chapter 2, it says, So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So there, that of devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So a primary function here. And then Titus, right after Paul tells Titus to appoint elders in all these cities on Crete, he says, here's something that these elders have to do. He says they have to hold fast the faithful word which is accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And also Paul gives the same direction to Timothy in chapter 4 in 1 Timothy. He says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. So the first uh, aspect of being a manager and a shepherd is to teach. Second is that they are to be an example, and not just an example, a good example. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul's writing to the church, and he says, he, he's going to summarize Paul and Timothy and some of their uh, other leaders there, their relationship to the people in Thessalonica. He says, you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner, manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then Peter, in 1 Peter, gives exhortations to the elders, and he says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So yet... Elders, leaders are not to lord it over the, those in their charge, but prove to be examples to the flock. Related to teaching is the third aspect here, and that's to keep pure doctrine. Right after Paul is talking to the uh, elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 28, chapter 20, he goes on to warn them, he says, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. So there's that warning that there's going to be false teachers arising. Same warning is given to Timothy in 2 Timothy where Paul tells him, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will." So there again, we see that they have to uh, correct and teach. And the same um, direction is given to Titus, a little more severe here, where Paul tells him, 
reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. So leader, church leaders are to teach, they're to be a good example, they're to keep pure doctrine, and they are to disciple or train. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing there and he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And admonish is a form of training where you see some error on somebody's part, not a major error, but you give them direction, exhortation, encouragement to get them back on the right track. And of course, in the church in Corinth, um, there was a lot of uh, admonition and correcting necessary. And again, under this idea in Galatians chapter 6, it says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So that idea of the spiritual restoring the one. A fifth function or aspect that uh, church leaders are to take care of is financial. In Acts, they are taking a, uh, what do you call it? An offering, that's what it's called. An offering for the saints in Jerusalem. And they take it and it says, and this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So there's that whole idea that Barnabas and Saul are in charge of bringing it to the elders. And it's the elders who are going to decide how that money is distributed, how that money is spent. And the same thing happens in 1 Corinthians, uh, general instruction here. Paul writes, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So there, again, the idea that the leaders are going to decide how the monies are spent. And the last function here is praying for the sick. Uh, I think some, this is something that tends to be perhaps ignored today, but should not be ignored. This will come from the fifth chapter of James. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So in verse 13, it says, is anyone among you suffering? And that verb for suffering there is just talking about affliction. It brings out the idea that this affliction might come from persecution or other trials, which in some ways is a general subject of the book of James. Then in verse 14, it says, is anyone among you sick? And that means you're weak or you're feeble. And then in verse 15, again, it says that uh, the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And that means someone who is faint or weary or exhausted. 
This coming to the elders for prayer when you're sick, I think we have limited that too much in the church today to just physical ailments. I think this is talking, when you look at the greater context, that this is talking about what can be physical problems, but also psychological or spiritual problems that stem from stress or from persecution or even sin in someone's life. And if you are under those kind of stresses, that physical, psychological, or spiritual illness, it's, it's telling us to come to the elders. And the elders are to pray over that person. So the functions of the elder, a church leader, basically to manage and to shepherd with the subparts of teaching, being a good example, keeping that pure doctrine, discipling and training, financial oversight, and also praying for the sick. But now we want to look at what a humble follower, that is a healthy church member, is to do. Who they are, what they are to do, what attitudes they are to have, what actions they should be taken. And notice, first of all, we're when we talk about a healthy church member, we are all members of the universal body of Christ. But that's not what we're talking about here when we're talking about it. We're talking about where you are as an individual believer in a local group, a local church. So the local church, then that means it's the location and that it's the means of a Christian to worship, to serve, to love and to be and love others, to share their faith, to mature spiritually. I think, except under rare circumstances, every believer not only can be, but should be a member of a local church to where they can minister and serve. It's a place of commitment where you are committing to the church leaders and you're committing to the other members that you are here and you are here to worship, you are here to serve together and help one another. Think about it. Without a local church, who are you going to follow? Some guy in New York? Some guy on the TV? Who are the church leaders going to lead if they don't have a committed membership? Where is discipline? Where is growth going to come from if it's not in the local body? Where is teaching going to occur? Where is learning going to occur? Where will ministry be done? Hebrews 10. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Well, there's a good exhortation to all of us. We need to think about how we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. But tied right to that is not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So first of all, to be a healthy church member, that means a member of and active in a local congregation. Not just coming Sunday morning and warming a chair or a pew and hearing the message and going off. We're to be active. So how about some attitudes then that a humble follower should have? The first is honor. 1 Timothy 5, 
The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So there it says, you are to honor. Who are you to honor? The elders who rule well, that's the idea of managing, who are preaching, and that word is the logos, it's the idea of teaching the word, explaining the word, kind of with the goal of getting someone to act, and teaching, which is giving instruction, giving doctrine. It's those people that you are to consider worthy of double honor. And honor means to value, it means to price, it means to respect, and in the context, it's really kind of talking about giving them a good salary. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we have a similar passage that has to do with honor. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So, it's talking about somebody who labors, grows weary. It talks about those who have charge over you. That's the managing, shepherding. Those who give instruction. That is to exhort, to encourage, to admonish. Those who work, action and deeds. So, what is a member to do? Is to appreciate them. That idea of appreciating someone means that you know them. It's the idea that you actually know who Jeff Coulter is and you know something about him and maybe his needs and things like that. It brings out the idea of you are to be aware of who they are and what their needs are. And I think it brings out the idea when you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you, is that you are acknowledging, recognizing that they indeed are over you. They are your church leader. The next thing you're to do is you are to esteem them very highly in love. And again, that esteem, it's the same word as appreciate, but it has a little bit different meaning. It's to regard or it's to love them. Notice it's esteem them very highly in love. And that's to have the right thinking about church leadership. Otherwise, you don't hold church leadership in disdain or anything like that. You accept them. You love them. So attitude to have to be a humble follower, a healthy church member, one, honor the church leaders. Two, demonstrate love towards them. Paul has kind of opened up his heart to the church in Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians, he says to them, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O, o Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. That's that idea, then, we are to demonstrate our love towards church leaders. So honor them. Demonstrate love towards them. Third is to be teachable. Be careful about what you oppose. 
And be careful about gossip about church leaders. So, three attitudes. Honor, demonstrate love, be teachable. How about some actions that a humble follower or a healthy church member should be doing? One is helping in the selection process of church leaders, specifically through prayer. But when Timothy is chosen as a church leader in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, you'll find that Paul seems to be choosing Timothy because he is spoken well of by the people. And I forget what city he's in. 1 Timothy 5.22 tells us, don't lay hands on anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Idea then of being involved in that selection of the church leaders. Another action that healthy church members do, and I have this as one, I probably should have it as two, obey and submit. Oh boy, now we're getting there, huh? Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Obey your leaders. That's a verb. And it brings out the idea of assurance and trust. But also, it brings out the idea that your obedience is a result of being persuaded by what the word of God says, by the Holy Spirit. And it brings out the idea that that obedience is not just superficial, but it's from the heart. Otherwise, you obey, you mean it. You do it willingly, this idea of being humble here. The second, submit to them. That means to yield or to retire here. And there are other exhortations for example Peter 5 5 says you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble seems to be linking the idea that if you are not subject to your church leaders that you are demonstrating pride and not being humble the leaders are just that who, who are you to obey and submit to? That's to rule, to have regard for the flock. They keep watch over you. This is one of the reasons. It says that means to be alert. It means to be watchful. It means to be sleepless. And the church leaders have to give an account. Give an account comes from the uh, Greek word logos, word. It's the idea here that this account that they are going to give is to the Lord. Church leaders, I guess you can start writing your little resume now, your statement. <laughs> We're going to be responsible for our leadership. And if the church members are a pain someplace, it means that those church leaders can't lead with joy. It would be a grief to them. And if that happens, it says it is unprofitable for you as a church member. And to be unprofitable, that comes from the word to be useful, 
You put the letter A in front of it and it negates it, it means you're, it's useless. And so much of the relationship that goes on in the church is dependent, of course, on how church leaders lead and respond, but also how church members respond to the church. Remember that one verse that said to be at peace with one another. And that's this idea coming from obedience and submission. Another verse that talks about submission is from 1 Corinthians 16. It says, Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. So I urge you, brethren, that you be in, also be in subjection to such men and do everyone and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. And that term for subjection is this military term, which means to rank under or means to submit. So actions, help in the selection process, obey and submit, follow the leader's example is the third one. And again, this is following the good examples. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So there's an exhortation to church leaders to show themselves to be an example. Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So that's Paul talking, and he's encouraging the Philippians to follow his example. Hebrews 13.17, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Remember, call to mind, those who spoke the word to proclaim or talk. Consider, the, considering the result of their conduct. That's careful observation. What are you to do? Imitate or mimic or follow their example. Actions, help in the selection process, obey and submit, follow their example. Last one, pray for the leaders. In Ephesians 6, at the end of that uh, letter, Paul says, with all prayer and petition at all times in the spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. To make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So there Paul is asking for the members to pray for him, his ministry. I think this application is that we should be praying for church leaders. And one in 1 Thessalonians 5.25, Paul writes, Brethren, pray for us. All right. Can you disagree then with church leaders? I'd be a little careful there. What subject are you going to be in disagreement with? Is it going to be a biblical disagreement or a non-biblical disagreement? Doctrine. You really need to look at our statement of faith and what we teach, what we preach. And uh, if you have questions about that, talk to us. What about issues of spending money, sensitive area? If the church leaders decide that 
a piece of property should be purchased and it doesn't seem to be against biblical principles or against our sin, how are you going to respond to that leadership or other programs or ministries? If you acknowledge and believe that those church leaders are there serving the Lord in God's place, leading you, how are you going to respond to them? Are you going to be prideful and say, I can't trust them? If you can't trust them, I think you have a problem with the Lord, not recognizing where he's placed you. And even though you may have disagreements, and even though church leaders will make decisions which they believe are, the, are God's will for the local congregation, recognize there may be failures. What are the consequences when a church congregation doesn't follow its leaders? No peace, no unity, gossip. I think limited growth, limited outreach, limited effect. I think it kind of comes from the idea that we are, in that sense, not acknowledging, following God's design for the church. Jesus Christ is the head. He has appointed leaders for the congregation. Live in peace with one another, that one verse said. So summarizing here, a healthy church member should know their leaders, appreciate them, I think acknowledge them as being placed over you by the Holy Spirit and acknowledge that the Holy Spirit has you here for a reason and for a purpose, to worship him, to serve, to serve one another, to be a witness. A healthy church member should then respect, honor, and esteem church leaders. They should pray for their church leaders. They should obey and submit to them. They should imitate them. They should love them. And I think they should thank God for them. Lord, we thank you that we were able to look into your word. We covered a lot of ground this morning. I pray that you help each one of us to be in submission to one another, to help us function as you want the church to function. Lord, we pray that you'll use Edgewood to glorify you, to reach out to the community, and that you will help us to live in peace with one another, to show love and be patient with each other. We thank you and ask this in Christ's name. Amen.